It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Just had to start off the episode with my favorite Teddy Roosevelt inspirational quote, so hopefully you enjoyed it. Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Welcome to episode 68 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And I have an exciting episode, Ryan Lang, who is, I think, the youngest 200 miler probably in the world. I don't know if I can actually back that with any kind of facts, but I believe he's the youngest finisher of the Tahoe 200 and then also the Moab 240. And I I thought that Ryan probably had some of the best mental strength of any ultra runner I've come across, so I had to reach out and see if we could dig in and, and find out more, see how he trains, see how he's uh, developed such a tough mental attitude to be able to tackle, um, you know, something like the Moab 240 or, or Tahoe. And again, this will be probably one of the last 200 miler specific interviews for a while. This was taped actually um, before I ran the Moab 240. And Ryan's just a nice guy. It was, it was fun speaking with him. So hopefully you guys can pick up some insights and are entertained here. Shout out to my sponsors. Hammer Nutrition, if you haven't given them a shot, feel free to use my promo code 252888. You'll save 15% off your first order. Big thank you to Sufferfest Beer. Man, talk about a good holiday gift. Uh, If you're in Colorado or California, they have very good distribution. I think you can order some stuff off their uh, website also. Definitely worth checking out. Big shout out. And thank you to Destination Trail, Candace Burt, just really enjoy working with them. They have variety of race options. I believe they're a variety of distances too. So if you're on the uh, the west west coast, west side of the United States, there's a variety of trail races that Candace puts on. And I've experienced one so far. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm already ready to go back because it was a really cool experience from the perspective of you know the course layout the volunteers aid stations were fully stocked it was it was just a really good experience so i highly recommend destination trail and last but not least exoskin so whether you're gonna pick toe socks or no toe socks calf sleeves base layers exoskin has just a very high-tech material and i've used them myself along with all the um all the sponsors of this show i i use them 
Um, I race using their products and I wouldn't have them as a sponsor if I, I didn't truly believe in them myself. And Exoskin, initially I was, I was pretty skeptical and then I actually used them and I was just blown away. So if you haven't tried them, you want 20% off, use the uh, promo code T, the number 4U20, you'll get 20% off. And uh, I actually, I like their toe socks and I, I like the, the normal socks, which is sort of weird for me. But um, yeah, after no no blisters during Moab, I'm still um, still in shock from that. I, I highly recommend them. So beyond that, I do have um, Train for Ultra, Ultra Running Stories from the Middle of the Pack pre-order. Um, it's now actually available on Kindle. Uh, so if you, you do like the digital copy... I think it's like 10 bucks and if you pre-order the physical copy on trainingforultra.com all physical pre-orders i'm going to mail you guys a keychain and a car magnet and probably a sticker and whatnot and just really appreciate all those pre-orders i'm blown away we're we're probably um gonna launch the book at the end of february next year so it's coming up quick and really just you know appreciate you guys um putting through those pre-orders it's it's very uplifting as we're going through and editing and um it's a humbling experience writing your story from the middle of the pack in fact there's probably only one or two running books from that perspective and again the goal going into writing this book is simply just to fundamentally impact motivate inspire you know a, a small handful of people so I really hope the um, the message and the story rings true to um, a few of you guys. And, I mean, worst case scenario, you get to hear about those miles that weren't shared in the video at all. So there were, there were miles from mile 50 through roughly 75 that um, somehow I managed to get through. But there's some really good stories. But anyways, let's get, to, um, let's get to the episode. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate your support. Have a great day. Don't forget to enjoy your training. Joined here by Ryan Lang. He, ironically enough, is a, a hammer athlete also. I didn't know that until we uh, had our pre-interview chat here. But he is an accomplished runner in a very short period. And honestly, his his background story is, is very, very similar to my own. I'm very honored to have him on. Ryan, how have you been? Rob, I've been great. I am very honored to be on here. Uh, such a well-known, renowned podcast, and I'm very excited to get some chatter going. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. And it's funny because you've been interviewed, I think, on maybe two or three podcasts prior, and it's all about – it's these podcasts that are focused on, like, mental strength. And uh, and I'm kind of surprised that no one in the running and, like, ultra-running community has really reached out to – explore your background more from a runner's aspect as opposed to just super mental strength yeah i guess that's that's part of uh i think that's part of my uh, uh that's my fault not reaching out to more ultra running podcasts not i guess thinking i am worthy of, of being, being on them yet um, but i'm happy that i'm here with you and excited to talk more and specifically about just running so tell me, I mean, tell the listener, why, what have you done over the past year or two that might be worthy of mention for a, 
for a 21 year old um so fall of 2016 i ran my first marathon uh and then 11 months later i ran the moab 240 um and most recently, I just finished the Tahoe 200 um, because I, I, I'm, a, I'm addicted to the 200-mile distance. It's just a different beast. It's a different game. It's, in my opinion, nothing like 100 miles. I've only done 100-miler, uh, and that was in July of 2017. It was kind of a wreck. Uh, so I guess I finished, but um, had a lot of stomach issues, and I guess I kind of have a bad taste in my mouth for the 100-mile distance. Um, and I've succeeded. I've <laughs> yeah. succeeded at, at the two hundreds pretty well. So you you've done more more two hundred milers than you have one hundred milers, right? And how many ultras have you finished so far? I've done five fifty k's, maybe six, five or six fifty k's, three fifty milers, a hundred miler, and then the two two hundreds. Wow, that's amazing! And so, have you? You're so young. Normally, I go through um, someone's collegiate running background. <laughs> like, oh, okay, you're on the track team and the cross-country team or whatever your background was. I mean, so in high school, were you in athletics or um, have you been active your whole life? Yeah, I've definitely been active my whole life. I definitely have not been a runner my whole life, though. I actually did not like running in high school. I played football. Uh, I was a quarterback and a linebacker, so we were – never really doing endurance runs in football. It was all, you know, sprints, bag work, <clears throat> stuff like that, explosive uh, technique, nothing. I, I don't think I ran anything over five miles until you know, spring of 2016. So I kind of just found the love and the passion for for putting myself, put, you know, working towards an ultimate goal with running, and I found it easy to do, uh, you know, while I'm in college. So were you in high school doing the stereotypical bench press, you know, like time in the gym, get out the giant yep. bucket of uh, whey protein and, <laughs> uh, you know, that routine or cause, yeah, cause yeah. you, I was in, go ahead. Sorry, God. So, um, I was in, I was in the, you know, the, the iron lead head, gains bro kind of mentality all yeah, my high school yeah. years i actually i maxed out at like 235 pounds in my junior year of high school um i was i was a pretty big dude um and then coming into college just found the love of running and found what it does for me you know feeling a lot it being lighter on my feet you just feel so much better and your energy levels are so much higher um but yeah dude i was your typical football player uh bench pressing as much as I can in the squat rack kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a little bit similar just from a hockey background, and that was only my freshman year of high school. And then, uh, yeah, but I, I definitely felt the pressure when the whole team had gym time, like you had to show up or else you wouldn't be skating. Um, so you're – what I think is fascinating is we, we both lost 50 pounds – um, I mean, obviously, my my fifty pounds was not all muscle. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell me about the process of you losing fifty pounds and how quickly did that happen? And and tell me more about how you started running. Yeah, so uh, coming into college, I started to realize that I was pretty big. 
Um, didn't like being that weight. I didn't have any need for being 230 pounds anymore. Um, so I started running, you know, two miles thinking I was the man thinking I was, whoa, I just ran two miles, like never done that before. Um, started to lose weight, started to look better. And quite honestly, this might sound like a selfish comment. Um, but people started telling me I looked good and I quite honestly, maybe you felt this as, as well. I, I really enjoyed people telling me I looked better. Oh, uh, so it's then a, it's not addictive. It's like reinforcing. I would say it reinforced the process for me. Totally. Right. So I paired more miles with more people telling me I looked good. So I'm just in my head, I'm just going to start running more and more miles, more and more miles. So, so I hear that more. Um, and that, and I did lose the weight relatively fast. I, by the, I think by in the spring after, yeah, spring of, uh, 2017, I had pretty much over one year lost the 50 pounds. Maybe it was a little bit over a year that it took, but it was relatively fast, but that's the beauty of running, man. If if you start putting yourself out there, you start eating right, you can shut it off very fast. And, and so beyond, you know, feeling like, you you know, the self-confidence of looking a little bit better. I mean, are you feeling better? Like, are you, did you have any like health issues or health changes or were you thinking clear? Like my thought process got super clear and my memory, re- you know, retention got better and um, just out of sheer like probably blood flow and circulation increasing. Um, were you experiencing like anything on that level? Uh, I definitely, definitely did, but I didn't notice it back then. So nowadays when I don't run for a couple days, I start to get cranky. I start to feel uh, – I actually am like in – I don't know if this is all mental, but I am less motivated if I'm not on a running routine to do other things, to do schoolwork, to get other things done. Um, and now I'm realizing that I missed out on all of that without running in my, you know, back in high school. Um, so I guess yes to answer your question, but I did not notice it back then. So what, where within this process were you like, oh, okay, I'm going to do a marathon. That's a good idea. Because most people um, that, to most people, a marathon, getting that medal they'll frame it and that's a lifetime achievement. Um, and I know we forget that in our bizarre subculture that, you know, we all can relate to using them as training or, or whatnot, but cause that's a big leap where, when did you make the leap? What was the motivating factor? Um, in the s- summer before my first marathon, I kind of took on the screw it mentality. Why not mentality? Um, and I asked a friend of mine actually, if she would want to do it with me. Um, and she was like, yeah, why not? Um, her name was Natalia and we actually ended up finishing almost right, right with each other. Um, but I just kind of took on the mentality of, I have nothing to lose. Why not do this? Why not have an awesome accomplishment? Uh, and with the marathon is where I instantly got addicted to working towards an overall goal and training and then succeeding and that feeling of all the hard work that you've put in over the past couple of months and there's no drug event person whatever that can replicate that feeling of accomplishment yeah i mean it's i think it speaks highly to recognizing an addictive personality and harnessing it for good and utilizing it and focusing it because I, I probably – I have more of just an extreme personality. I mean some might classify as addictive personality. But I think there is uh, 
almost like a power, powerful force behind that, you know, utilizing that for good. And if you use, utilize it, you know, in uh, a negative way, it can turn, uh, it can turn negative real quick and yeah, be amplified. But um, if you harness it and focus it on, I, I like goals personally, that's, that's where my natural tendencies like really, um, you know, focus in on things. Is that what you were seeing? Like that you had that big marathon goal and you could harness kind of, you know, that personality trait towards it? Yeah. Um, so nowadays I, after the marathon, I also, I took a small break and I realized I, I put it this way to people my when i finish a race or when i accomplish a goal my um my uh self-confidence totally skyrockets i feel great about myself uh i'm happy where i'm at when i'm you know when it's been a while that i've done a race or when i don't have anything on the schedule i start to feel i start not to feel good about myself um so that's where i guess you can classify this as an addictive personality where i need to be working for an overall goal or else I don't feel good at, with where I'm at. And that doesn't mean that other people need to do that. Um, that's just me, my personality. Maybe it's how I was raised or, or whatever, but that that's kind of what I've, the cycle, the vicious cycle, I guess you want to call that I'm now stuck in. I mean, it's, I think it's a healthy, healthy habit to have. And I personally, I, I get a lot of questions from listeners and they're like, you know, what I do about race blues and whatnot. And my only personal solution is to just always be looking forward. And I don't try to overly focus on past events. I'm always thinking like, what is sparking? I, I use the, what's stoking your, your training fire? Like what's going to get you out of bed when you don't want to train, when you don't want to run, like you have to have a goal of some sort to be aiming at. And I mean, at least for me, that that's what gets me out on a run when I really I could make any excuse up with two kids and a full time job and uh, just a bunch of other things in life. Like I could easily make excuses and never run. So, mm -hmm. um, but your story is unbelievable. So you started running. What did you say it was? Yeah, 20, spring of 2016, I started doing legitimate training runs, training for a marathon. And tell me about the progression. And, I mean, it takes a hell of a lot of self-confidence to sign up for the 240 um, in less than two years of running. Less yeah, I than think, one month I, or one year running. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, – and this is what I like to talk about a lot and help people realize. Um, it's it, honestly, in the end, it comes down to believing in yourself. And, and you could really help help the cause by putting in the effort, putting in the training, front loading the effort, um, and you know, giving yourself, hey, I worked very hard. I am ready for this. Um, you know, but if you look at what I did over just a year, some people will say I'm some athletic freak and I'm not. I just simply put in the work 
and I got to the Moab start line and I told myself that I am ready for this and there's no reason that I shouldn't be, that's where it really matters. And I think that's where a lot of people get in their own head. They start second guessing their training. They start second guessing, oh man, like I didn't do this long run with this elevation. You know, I, even when I missed a training you know, run or I couldn't do it, I tell myself that's fine. You know, I'll make up for it in the long run or maybe I'll just have 30 minutes shorter time for the race. You just can't get in your head. That was the biggest thing that I stress to everyone is tell yourself that you're ready and believe in yourself and there's really not many things going to stop you. Totally agree. Yeah. And yeah, believing in yourself is fundamental to everything. Um, and it's hard when you're injured or, you know, you have a setback of some sort. Um, so what 50 K did you do? And, and what you did 50 K 50 mile and a hundred mile before Moab. Right. So I did a 50 K. It was actually in the middle of a nor'easter snowstorm. It was, that's where me and my dad kind of fell in love with the, uh, I guess we could use the NASCAR analogy where I'm the car and he's my pit crew and which I'm running in a foot of snow and my dad's with his frozen fingers is trying to put stuff in my pack. And meanwhile, my bladder is frozen and like, it was a very, uh, uh, it's a big ordeal, but in the end, when we're driving home and I'm in pain, we're just talking about what what happened all the whole race, and that's where we fell in love with the trail. Uh, that was actually my first trail race, and that was in January of 2017. Um, and we had a lot of fun, so instantly I started looking to go further for a 50 miler, and I found the Badwater Cape Fear race uh, in Block Island, which I think just got hit by the hurricane pretty bad unfortunately um but that was a good flat flat race good first 50 um and i actually still at this point had no idea what i was doing nutritionally over the nine hours and 45 minutes it took me for that 50 miler all i ate was a uh, squeeze like a little squeeze packet of almond butter um and I was really falling apart in the end. I was actually passing out in my stake at the Outback after the race, uh, which really scared my dad. And he tasked me with figuring out my nutrition uh, before we continue to do races like this. Um, so then I had to really dive in and, and teach myself and learn and listen to podcasts like this and understand how people are fueling and how you need to train your stomach. Um, and then I went to 100 miler, still had no idea really what I was doing. Uh, I was eating nasty bars with preservatives in them and i walked maybe the last 20 miles of that 100 miler um but i finished and so then put yourself in my dad's shoes me wanting to do a 240 after the ordeal of that 100 miler where yeah i was throwing up for 25 percent of the race um but you know I, I hunkered down i read books taught myself trained like crazy experimented with my body like crazy um and then did very well at moab the uh three months later um but i, I think that's that's the biggest success i had was putting in the effort to learn about my body and that's one of the other which i'm sure you can relate to is an amazing feeling of really understanding how your body operates and what you put in to it and what happens with certain foods certain uh, uh supplements it's really crazy how much i've learned about my body and i'm sure anyone listening to this or running to this can relate to that totally i mean i think for me uh ccc when i did that 100k out in europe i absolutely nailed nutrition and hydration 
like to the point where it gave me enough confidence to sign up for Moab. Um, because I, I truly think most of the listeners, if you practice every single training run, just even if it's water instead of like liquid calories, like you should be like every 15 minutes, like trickling in liquid calories and doing X, Y, Z in practice. And it becomes second nature. You're going to put yourself ahead of so many other runners that don't think it's, you know, that vital until it's past 50 miles. And all of a sudden you see guys on the side of the trail puking their brains out and, you know, it catches up to you. You can't fake nutrition and hydration in a hundred miler or a hundred K like you, if you don't practice it, nail it. Um, you just, it's going to make your day awful and miserable. And I mean, half of what I want to do personally, I'm sure you're the same way is just enjoy the experience and you can't be, uh, barfing half the race or, you know, in the bushes, half the race and actually taking it in and enjoying the experience. But what, what modifications after all your studying podcasts, listening you know what modifications did you make that made moab that much more successful the biggest thing was getting your stomach used to having a lot of food in it bouncing around while you're running uh so very good training uh i don't even want to call it a training run a very good training activity that i did uh was i did a 5k every hour on the hour and right before I started running, I'd eat a very odd food or something I knew that they'd have at the aid station. So I'd throw half a burger in my stomach and go run a 5K at uh, not a very fast pace, but not definitely not Moab pace, like you know, yeah. running efficiently, I guess I'll put it that way. Um, and so a burger worked great with my stomach or uh, three or four pieces of bacon worked awesome with my stomach. Ramen noodles didn't really work out for me, but, that's... and that's okay. So now you understand going into that race, and that's a very good way to test a bunch of different things in a very short amount of time. That is awesome advice. Like, if the listeners make your own aid station, essentially at home, and go run three or four miles in between testing different foods, I it you'll get in the miles and... I mean, it trains your stomach and it also helps you avoid a major ugly situation when you're on the top of a mountain in some foreign country and you just threw in salami and you realize, oh, okay, that's, that doesn't work with my stomach. Uh, I've noticed cheese, cheese and like milk-based products for me personally, I, there's nothing I want more than like a grilled cheese or something, but it, it just does not work for me. (laughs) Um... But we're all different, so. Uh, yeah, and, and with the 200 mile distance that I'm, um, I'm sure some people aren't aren't aware of. You know, 100 miler. I feel as if you could survive off of just uh, blocks or goos and and all the high sugar, very easily digestible stuff. But when when you get into the 200 mile distance, you're gonna have to eat some protein and and some sort of fats because you're going into three days that you know your body's not gonna last off strict sugars uh, for you know around 80 hours. It might be four days for me. Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> let's shift gears and talk about 200 milers because your your experience level in them is off the charts for your age level. Like there's not anyone I could contact in the whole world that has run more 200 milers than you for, for being 21. Not that I'm aware of. Um, so let's, let's start with 
going into Moab. We'll start with Moab and then talk Tahoe. Um, so this is the first running of Moab. It's all over the media. Like, when did you sign up? What What even sparked your interest in this? Because it's rare that anyone even goes on ultra sign up and clicks 200 miler. Um, you have to normally be like drunk or just in like the weirdest <laughs> mood ever um, to even click on that option. So how did you find out about Moab? And tell me, how did you uh, approach training going into it? So I found out about Moab through, I'm a big uh, Joe Rogan listener. Yes. And Cam, Cam Haynes is my, I call Cam my spark plug. He is an awesome guy and he made me realize the potential of the human body. Um, so I heard that he was signing up for this event, um, and I looked into it and it kind of was perfect timing for after my hundred miler about three months later. Um, and again, I took on the why not mentality. Me and my dad were having a lot of fun going to these races and, and I stressed to everyone that these races are adventures with my dad and the running is just kind of the side activity. Um, because it was a really cool place that my dad has always wanted to go to. Um, and I said, I, you know, dad, I really want to push myself and really want to find out about my, who I am, what I'm made of. Um, and after hearing about it on Joe Rogan, hearing about it on other podcasts, I said, you know, again, took on the why not mentality. Let's do this thing. Um, so I've really, and I, I can, I'm sorry, go ahead. Did he push back at all? Um, he said, he gave me the analogy of, so we used to have a dog. Um, and my dad would play with the laser pointer and the dog would chase it and the dog would chase it so much that he would rip the pads off his feet. And that's, and, and essentially I am that dog. I will keep going even if it is at the cost of my body. And my dad said, you just better get yourself prepared enough so that I don't have to do that to you. Um, because I will never pull myself from a race ever. Um, I'll get into Tahoe and what happened early on, um, and how my dad almost pulled me, but you know, I, and I took that with a grain of salt. I said, okay, you know, dad will, I know he'll pull me, so I need to get myself ready as fast as possible. Um, so I actually uh, hired a coach um, to help me out with, you know, getting ready for training or getting ready for Moab and him giving me, he gave me the idea of the 5k every hour on the hour um, and told me everything I need to do to prepare myself, but not over train because, so I did a 50 miler and thought, okay, I had to max out at like a 60 mile week. And then I did a hundred miler and I was like, okay, you know, I have to max out at a hundred, 110 mile week, uh, in my training block. So I thought I was going to have to do like 200 miles within one week. And my, you know, my coach was like, dude, hold off on that. No one does that. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what distance did you max out at other than that hundred um, mile race? Uh, that was the longest I had gone. Uh, after Moab and then leading up to Moab, I did a week where I did uh, 20 miles four days straight. Uh, okay. And then I did a 10 miler and then a 50K to top off that week. Um, so blowout and, week, kind of typical yep. training cycle, right? Yes. Um, and then used, I, I was constantly eating. I was, oh, I was probably doing throughout that week trying to do 400 calories an hour on those runs to really, you know, cause this is still a short amount of time that I'm trying to get my stomach in shape. So just really pounding on my stomach. Cause that's like you said, that's the biggest thing. If your stomach's not right, then you're not going to succeed in, in almost any race. Um, so, and, and it did, it worked for Moab. I did not throw up once at Moab. I did not have any stomach issues at all throughout the entire time at Moab. 
Um, and, and that's kind of what the training looked like. And again, so, to bring it back to my main premise, I just believed in myself. Why 400 calories? Just curious. Um, just to over, I guess, Specific. overdo it. Oh, um, so like I would eat uh, a quesadilla, uh, a cliff bar, and like maybe a goo all at once just to test, just to put that weight in my stomach okay. and have my stomach, you know, get adjusted to that big ball of food bouncing around inside of you. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I, I don't know. I'm trying to recall the Brian Frank, uh, fueling and hydration interview episode. I think it was like 53. I don't know if you can, uh, actually absorb or digest beyond 400 calories. So like if you show up in and just like throw in some stupid amount of calories and you're slightly dehydrated there's only one one way that food's gonna go after it goes <laughs> in your stomach it's right back out because you can't digest beyond i think it's 400 calories don't quote me on that guys um but that's interesting number and and who um who did you select as a coach um so i actually went to a uh, memorial day weekend training camp uh held by uh carmichael training systems out in colorado nice. yeah uh they do with jason coop and my well who my coach was who actually paced me at moab was adam st pierre uh cool. who just crushed hard rock he got 15th this year which is totally awesome um they are awesome people and they know absolutely everything and anything you need to know about ultra running and i, I credit them to some of my success because they are people that gave me a lot of guidance into figuring out my body and what I need to do to figure out my body. Um, so I went out to camp out there before my 100 miler in May, um, and then had coach Adam come out and pace me at Moab. So I had that person that was teaching me what to do. Uh, and I guess you could say knew my body, um, out there pacing me in, in the desert. I mean, that's solid. I, of all the the coaches out there, I mean, I've talked to one or two people in the ultra running community over a few years here, and uh, Coop is probably one of the most knowledgeable out there. His book is kind of the pinnacle of trying to understand training, just for the listener's background. Um, it's next level. It's almost like a doctoral level class. Um, so you show up in Moab. I assume you and your dad, what, you fly into Utah or wherever? Yeah, flew into Grand Junction, Colorado, I believe, and then we drove to Moab. And where's your head at on that, I don't know, four-hour, three-hour drive into Moab? Um, just enjoying the views at that point and trying to take it all in and have us think about having fun. That's that's my number one pre-race uh, advice I'd give to, give to anyone is – don't think about training. Don't think about what you could have done, what went wrong in your training block. Just think about having going out there and having fun. You've worked up to this point. What's going to happen will happen. Just get ready to have a good time. And, and that's where I think, again, a lot of my success has come is I've, I did not go out there expecting anything out of myself. I went out there to have some fun with my dad. Cool. Very cool. And, I mean, you show up. 7 a.m. race day. I mean, how did you and your dad strategize in terms of crewing? Because crewing's super complex here and drop bags. I mean, did you did you visualize this race a certain way? Did you segment it down? Just tell me kind of some of the logistical aspects before that you know start 
start gun goes off? Um, so Moab was very tough because it's a lot of the aid stations were in a lot of remote areas. Um, so, but I was able to see my dad at least every other aid station. So I actually, I've, I did not use drop bags. Um, honestly, because I, I, I hate to waiting around after the race to have to pick them up. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my honest answer for you. Yeah. But I have my dad, I have my dad there and it's easier to, lay out what we call as the go box. It's just this big uh, toolbox that we put all my stuff in. He knows where everything is in there. It's all organized. He just brings that to the aid station, throws it down, opens it up, and we know everything that's in there uh, and what we need to do. So I didn't use any drop bags, but there were times where I uh, was expecting my dad to be at an aid station and he could not get up the side of the mountain in the truck. Um, actually, Courtney DeWalter, who I, I know you know, um, they, her crew was going up the side of the mountain, I think at mile 140, uh, and they blew a tire and then the car that was coming to change that tire blew a tire as well. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure Courtney missed her crew at that aid station, but that's part of the battle with Moab. And I, I know, I don't know if you're going to have a crew out there or not. Um, but definitely be ready uh, I, I would advise to have a drop bag ready, maybe at a mile 100 and then 200, because there was a time I wish I saw my dad to ha get some things from him because I was going into a very cold night uh, where I didn't get a long sleeve to go under my jacket until around midnight, 1 a.m., and I was freezing for the past three hours. Yeah. Uh, so logistically, 200 milers are tough. Candace does a great job of having fully stocked aid stationed and amazing volunteers. Um, but you know, there there's, uh, you can only be so prepared. Yeah, totally agree. And I sort of jumped the gun. How did your taper go, um, into Moab and was it a hard taper? I mean, this is one of those races where you don't want to be an ounce over the line in terms of your training. You want to feel a hundred percent i'm guessing i mean how'd your taper go when did it start and i i find that my taper is i max out two weeks before uh and then i'll half my max out the following so i did 110 miles i did about 50 miles the following week and then just did a couple i think i did two or three five mile runs the following week um i i don't know tapers tough for me because when i get sore uh, when I feel soreness after a run during a taper, I start to get a little weird uh, and, and anxious that I'm losing uh, fitness throughout those uh, taper weeks. That's why I think two weeks works well for me. Other people might find that three weeks works well. Um, but like you said, yes, you cannot overdo it. And, you know, if you're in your max week and you feel something weird is going on on Wednesday or Thursday and you feel like you might be running yourself into an injury, that's fine. Cut it off take care of it those two to three weeks out um, because I th don't think that it's going to, uh, you know, the extra training on an injury is going to help you that much in a 200 miler yeah. um, because I could go into it. a 200 miler. I, I tell people you could be in the greatest shape of your life, but if you are not there mentally and you don't know how to fuel yourself, you're, it, it, you're not going to succeed. No yeah. There's no way, dude. Like yeah. you could be in not great shape and have the strongest mental attitude, and you could crush the race. Yeah, I I agree. I'm I'm actually doing a weird. I'm modifying my normal taper routine, which probably a lot of people are like don't change anything, blah blah blah. But um, 
I've done like 100K per month roughly for 2018, and now I'm taking a three-week taper, and I'm going to actually try to increase biking a little bit to just like seriously let these running muscles deep level recover before taxing them to their max. Um, so we'll see if that strategy pays off. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so, I mean, tell me, how did you break this race down mentally? Did you, were you looking at it aid station to aid station as your goal? Yes. Okay. Yes. You never, ever thought about the totality of the event. Cause that's when you get inside your head. Uh, for example, I rolled in, I think it was mile around 70 at Moab and I heard some guy say, I'm dropping out. You know, it's, uh, if it was a 100 miler, I'd keep going, but I don't think I could do 200 miles. And instantly I just started thinking about something else because I wanted that out of my head. And all I thought about was getting to the next aid station, give my dad a big hug and talk about, uh, you know, our, our bet in football. Are we winning? Did the saints lose? Like what's going on? Just never talking about, uh, or thinking about the totality, the, the distance that you're actually going to go because it is even the greatest runner in the world. Like, think about that. That is, so far and you'll get in your head and, and if you're in a uh, a bad position and you're not feeling okay you know that's where your brain starts to go hey maybe it'll be okay just to sit this one out um so to answer your question never ever ever thinking about the number 200 yeah that's that's my 100 mile mentality for sure but this is um <laughs> i guess it the same applies to any distance beyond the 100 miler um it's almost like we need a new definition of ultra because ultra is any distance beyond the marathon distance and then going beyond the hundred mile distance. I feel like we could almost use a, a new word there. Um, <laughs> how'd the first part of the race go? I mean, walk me through the first 7,500 miles. Um, so that I think the first 80 miles is the toughest part of the race. Um, because your body, I put it this way, your body is rejecting what you're doing almost. And after about the 100-mile mark is where the soreness, the the muscle fatigue kind of went away for me. Because it was almost like my brain was like, okay, we're submitting. You're doing this. It's going to happen. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's the, the toughest part was the first you know, 80 to 100 miles for me. Um, and I, I kind of knew that going into the race. Uh, I talked to someone that had had done a 200-miler before, um, and they said, you know, the toughest part is the first 100 miles. Don't overdo it. Take your time. You can't kill yourself in the beginning uh, because if you kill yourself in the beginning, which I kind of did at Tahoe, um, you could set yourself up for failure. And so roughly speaking, how much time did it take you to do that first 100 miles? And were you Um, excited about what was going on yeah. i mean were you mentally just like stay so focused you're just like next aid station next mile next mile just like hyper focused because that's a lot of times i'll mentally just i'll be so in the zone either in flow or whatever that like i'll just get to the finish line and it's like whoa that was that was crazy um but like that first hundred miles roughly were you in the zone did you know you were halfway done a hundred and i will I was in the, oh. Yeah, I was <laughs> in the zone for the first 80, really feeling good. Uh, and then that was I, – I did 100 in about uh, – I got there at 1 p.m. 
Uh, so let's see, what is that? Almost 32 ish hours, I guess. Okay. Um, and I was doing great until, uh, you know, and you're going to experience this as well. The, the hallucinations really started to come, uh, you know, at a hundred miles, like deep into that second day. And in the beginning for me, that was a little scary. Uh, so that freaked me out a little bit and I think freaked my dad out a little bit. Um, so that's where I took a, a, an hour rest, uh, to kind of rejuvenate. And that, that's another thing with 200 milers is you, you're going to be very surprised at how a a quick 10 minute nap really wakes you up and, and stops your eyes from sagging down as you're walking. Um, so the first hundred, once you get past the hundred mile mark, it's it's just it's all fun and battling chafe at that point because you're getting the the weird thoughts, you're getting the weird hallucinations. Uh, at that point, I had a pacer for a majority of the race, um, but yeah, the first eighty miles, you just have to set yourself eighty to hundred. You have to set yourself up for success to be able to have that fun. I mean, Tommy Rivers, Pusey, and. Michelle Yates have set the hallucination bar pretty high. Uh, Courtney DeWalter, too. I, I, have, I have to ask you, what was going on in your head when you hit that 100-mile mark and your dad was concerned? Um, at first, like I said, it was very scary. But once I realized it was all just in my head, I started having a lot more fun with it. At Moab, the first hallucination I had, I thought I saw like a – I was close to an aid station, so I thought I saw a dog coming at me um, – like walking from the aid station. So I started like, you know, clapping, like, come here and it's not moving. And I'm like, what the heck? And I'm getting closer. I'm like, this dog is just staring at me. I'm getting closer and closer. I realize it's a log. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I actually just saw something that wasn't there. Um, and that's kind of the reason why I love the 200 milers is because you're hallucinating without doing any drugs. Like, come on, man, that's a win win. Um, (laughs) so so, uh, and that's why going into Tahoe, I wanted to sleep even less than I did at Moab. Um, but the hallucinations are uh, what I think is some other people might not, but what I think is fun and why I keep going to these 200 milers. So you said it's a battle. The second half of this race is a battle. What was it against chafing and chafing? Okay. Um, how did you handle chafing? How were your feet throughout this second half so at moab i did not pre-tape my toes um so i got very very bad blisters on my toes at moab um which i prepared myself for at tahoe and actually came out of tahoe with the only blister i had was on my thumb for my poles um pre-taping is huge also another big thing is at moab i definitely bring a change of socks for every single aid station. I know some people never change their socks. Um, I don't know how, because you get the dirt and grime in your shoes, especially at Moab that just tears up your toes. Um, so every aid station I'd sit down, take my shoes off, socks off, clean my feet, totally rub them down with, uh, with baby wipes and then a fresh pair of socks. Um, and, at Moab, a lot of people were also, interesting enough, spraying Pam on their shoes. Uh, I had never heard of that. I don't know if it's a usual thing done in ultra running. So it catches all the dirt. That oil catches all the dirt from coming in. Um, and I actually did not do that at Tahoe because we actually forgot to buy Pam. Um, That's crazy. But, yeah, I've it, never heard of that. Yeah, very interesting, right? Um, and toe socks or no toe socks? I might as well I get it in while never, I can. 
I have never used toast. <laughs> okay. I've never used toe socks. Okay. Um, I guess I should try them. I know Courtney uses them and she, that's, she's the person I know that only wears one pair of socks. Um, and so she doesn't get, that... she doesn't get blisters either, which is just like, Dude, that's crazy to run that speed and exert that level. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so, so I think that is something I'm going to try this fall. Uh, an experiment with is toe socks because I hear people are having a lot of success with them. But other chafe yeah, Some... between my legs, I have very big, big legs. So the chafe just you, you can put as much squirrels nut butter or body glide on your skin, but it's tough when that dust kicks up and, and gets in and on you and then starts to grind you up after, you know, 150, 180 miles. That's where I start to get the bad chafe. Yeah, I mean, for the listener's background, a lot of chafing, like, you can do 50Ks, 50 miles, even 100Ks sometimes, and not experience the extreme sweat and then the extreme cold. And so, like, it brings out the salt, and it just rubs you raw um, a lot of times. And so, I mean, I think during longer races, I'll even bring a change of underwear, and I, I probably will have... It sounds kind of disturbing, but I'll bring like three pairs of underwear and then those undershirts. If I'm wearing any kind of compression under my shirt, um, because you go from that extreme sweat, which, you know, the shirt or whatever holds the salt and then the extreme cold, uh, and then all the moisture disappears and it's rough. Um, it, and, it is rough. And tell me, what are you doing on aid station food? Like, are you... Is your body, because you're burning, I don't even know how many thousands of calories. I'm guessing t- probably thirty to 40,000 calories. So mathematically, you can't digest that many calories over that time window. So how do you handle that? Like, what are you, what are you eating at aid stations? And tell me about that for Moab. And then I do want to talk to Tahoe um, here at the end. Yeah, um, so always starting early at the 200s getting in the the protein the burgers the quesadillas the uh all that stuff as early as i can um before i potentially have any stomach issues so i'll roll into an aid station and i'll ask i'll order whatever i'm feeling if i'm feeling salty i'm ordering hash browns with some you know i'll ask them to crack an egg in there uh or i'm ordering a quesadilla with bacon uh if i'm feeling the sweet uh, i'll get um pancakes and i bring my own m&m to have them put my pancakes put in my pancakes yeah um and then i'll ask them you know maybe a couple pieces of bacon just to get that protein in there you know if if you have a tough time with protein just take your time with it even even over you know 10 20 miles just maybe a half a piece of bacon just you have to get that protein in i can't stress it enough um if you're going that distance so uh, constantly when i'm at an aid station always ordering protein of some sort or taking something with protein in it even if i'm not necessarily craving it or want to eat it um that's the biggest thing with going that distance so tell, is you, you, what's what's the keying in on protein as opposed to just generally generally having calories what do you mean like in terms of What's the importance of uh, having protein as opposed to just some greasy French fries or something? <laughs> um, I don't know. I've, I've, uh, at Moab, I, I don't know. I found that eating protein while I run uh, also like strengthens my stomach 
to have less of a chance if I was eating just goose and stuff like that uh, to having an issue. Um, but I read I read some sort of study that uh, protein is good. That it's like a proven uh, scientific study that protein during endurance events is beneficial for like recovery during the event or like minimizing muscle fatigue during the event. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I just kind of, I guess you say I'm kind of obsessed with that article and eating protein has worked for me. So I'm going to continue to do it. So speaking of muscle fatigue, when you hit mile 200, which had to be kind of a mind blowing experience, knowing you still have 40 miles to go, um, how were your legs? How were your, were you aching all over? I mean, where was the muscle fatigue? Honestly, at that point I was numb at Moab and at Tahoe. It was, you don't really, you have other little aches and pains and problems that kind of trump just muscle fatigue at that point. Uh, so I don't know if it, I wasn't thinking about it or, or it, it actually, muscle fatigue actually went away. Um, but the muscle I didn't have any issues with that. It was the chafe. It was the, uh, the arch of my foot was in a lot of pain. Um, but the muscles weren't my problem. No. And towards the end of the race, you're not, you're, I wouldn't say you're running as much as you were at mile 40. It's more so hiking at that point, unless you're going on the downhills. Um, but no, there's, there's after mile 100, 150, the muscle pain started to go away. Like, for example, I had for some reason my left bicep at Tahoe was extremely sore by a mile 100. I don't know if it was the way I was carrying my poles, um, but that went away by mile 160. I didn't even recognize the soreness anymore. Yeah, I've, I've noticed even, you know, clearly shorter distance ultras that your quads can just be trashed and if you just continue forward, eventually your muscles can kind of like recycle a lot of the, the fatigue somehow, probably like ATP and, uh, and you can almost rejuvenate yourself to the point where, you know, a few hours later, they don't hurt at all. Um, and if you correct it, if it's like a calorie deficiency in your patient, like your body will actually adjust, which is totally crazy. Um, so how was the last mile going into Moab? Victory lap, just jamming out to awesome tunes, talking with my pacer about what the heck we just did, <laughs> uh, and just getting ready for the party. I'm all about working super hard, crushing a race, and then partying after. Uh, so the last mile any race, I call it the victory mile. Yo, I don't, I don't know if the listener can tell that you're still in college here. I mean, just, just <laughs> rub it in a little bit um, <laughs> for us parents listening. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to skip over kind of recovery and whatnot, but take me back to the sleep routine for this process because you finished pretty quick, right? I mean, it was 80-some-odd hours. Yeah, I did Moab in 86. It's super solid you know i've gone over mile by mile kind of strategy for myself and my best case scenario is 90 hours so that's that's awesome i mean how did you strategize for sleep and what did you actually do and what would you recommend um so i slept at moab i slept six and a half hours of the 86 um and the way i looked at it as i was i was going to sleep at mile 100 uh 
either for I planned for two hours actually, but I, I woke up because I was so hungry, odd enough, um, after an hour of sleep. It's very weird how my brain uh uh how do I wanna say it? My brain um thought more about eating than it did about sleeping and I actually woke up from sleep after not sleeping for, you know, thirty five hours. Um so definitely a lot. I did a lot of just five to ten minute cat naps on the trail. If I was at a point where I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore and I was almost sleepwalking, just a quick throw your alarm for five ten minutes. Find whatever uh, for Tahoe. Seven minutes worked very well for me. Um, and just lay down real quick. Even if you need to quickly get your emergency bivy out because Moab it gets cold. Um, just a quick five to ten minute rejuvenation. It, it's insane how much it really that quick REM sleep really wakes you up. Um, like for example, at Tahoe, I did a five minute sleep, and my pacer said I was snoring within thirty seconds of hitting the ground. <laughs> so it, your brain will take advantage of that short time it gives you, and then I'll be able to move for another five hours after just a short, quick, uh, you know, nap like that. Um, so def, but definitely for someone that's looking to do a two hundred miler, definitely put in one or two big times to sleep. Um, so Tahoe, I really wanted to minimize my sleep and I did two hours at uh, mile hundred and I was planning to not, you know, do any lay down sleep until after the race. So I did a bunch of, I did probably maybe another six or seven, seven minute naps throughout the race. And then I did one more like 45 minute nap at about mile 180. That's because my pacer also fell asleep. I think, <laughs> I don't know. It starts to get hairy at that point. Um, so I slept a total of about four hours and 20 minutes, maybe a little less at Tahoe. Um, but to, to bring back your original question, definitely putting in setting aside a certain time wherever you think throughout the race to get some good sleep um specifically maybe uh for moab because it gets so cold at night doing it at night uh for me at tahoe i operate better in you know 40 degree temperatures than i do 80 degree temperatures so i set up my time to sleep during the day uh the hottest part of the day um but yeah man you get you 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 can hurt your race more if you try to really not sleep than you would if you slept a good amount uh, and then you know tried to make up for that sleep. For example, my friend Helgi uh, at Tahoe, he slept for a total of 12 hours but only finished three hours behind me. Um, so for your listeners, take that for what it is and it shows the value of sleep during these ultra runs. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's we're in uncharted waters and I mean, untested areas. And uh, yeah, seeing the finish at Tahoe this year was just insane. Um, how Kyle and uh, Courtney were duking it out at the end of a two hundred mile race. I was, I was like concerned someone could possibly tax themselves beyond repair. Um, just because this is a new distance, especially to be actually racing, racing, not just, you know, trying to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so last thoughts on Moab. What what does the listener not know about Moab that you've picked up on by just being there and racing it and finishing it? Is there one or two aspects of the Moab 240 that no one knows about? 
three things. Number one, it's a lot flatter than you think. Uh, if you think about 30,000 feet of gain over 240 miles, um, I know a lot of the mountain runners that were there, uh, not complained about it, but took note of it. I am from sea level. I'm from flat land. So that's why Moab was a good first 200 for me. It was a lot of flats. Uh, number two, it gets seriously cold, seriously cold, like colder than you think with a wind chill in the desert. Like I was going to the desert. I'm like, oh, I'm going to the desert. It's going to be hot. I was very wrong. It got to with a wind chill to like nine degrees at some points of the race. Um, definitely prepare for that. And most definitely prepare to be changing your socks. Have a bigger pair of shoes ready to go at mile 120 because yes. your feet are advice. going to swell. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Those are the three biggest things I could take away from Moab that I wish I knew going into it. That's Yeah, that's really great advice. I love how 30,000 feet of gain – is now like like a flat race. Um, <laughs> I think that's what it takes to summit Everest, right? I'm trying to remember. Uh, it's it's hilarious that um, when you break it up over that many days, it's not even like an issue. Yeah. Um, well, I, I appreciate the uh, the insights on Moab, and I mean, honestly, a lot of this is for my personal interest, but <laughs> it's also there's there's only 98 people in the world that have finished that race. I mean, right. less than 100 people have experienced that, and there's probably only a small handful that have even shared their experience there. Um, so I, I just thought for the listener's background, I mean, this is this is rare territory, plus you are the youngest finish, finisher of that race ever, right? Yep. So, I mean, very cool to hear how your race went, and it sounds like it was very successful. Um, so you wouldn't have changed anything about that race? Um, no, no regrets, man. Awesome. <laughs> I, I guess there's things that I could have done better. Maybe, um, maybe been a little less weight wise. Maybe, you know, there's always something you think you could do better, but no, I would not change anything. I had a blast at Moab and I'm excited for you to have a blast at Moab. I appreciate it. I, I've never, I was talking to a few people about this and I was like, like even, uh, Courtney D I was like, yeah, I've never been more excited for a race, and I'm guessing I will never suffer more during a race, <laughs> which I think you guys can all relate to. So you must have liked that experience enough to sign up for another Destination Trail Candace Burt special, Tahoe 200 this year. Yeah, shout out to Candace, greatest. You know, I'm not just saying this to suck up to her. She does a amazing job marking the course aid stations, everything like it is an awesome experience. I never worried about going off course at Moab. I had one little issue at Tahoe and that's just because my GPX was a little off. Um, she does an amazing job and she epitomizes the ultra running community, man. She does it all well and she supports all of her runners and just, just wants everyone to have a good time and finish the race. I think beyond the hundred mile distance should be called a Burt maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, so you I'll have to tell her you said that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, why did you pick Tahoe? And tell me just real briefly, um, leading up to Tahoe, because you have experience with 200 mile distance now. Like, what did you modify in your training leading up to Tahoe? Um, yeah, I picked Tahoe because 
it was the furthest one out from Moab. Bigfoot was obviously a month earlier. Um, and I operate, like I said, I operate better in colder weather. Uh, I digest better in colder weather. Uh, and I heard Bigfoot gets very hot during the day, but Tahoe got hot too. So, um, so that's why I picked Tahoe and I, and me and my dad wanted to go check out the lake, man. Like it is a beautiful site. Even if you're not just running there, it goes back to the adventure part of it. Um, and it worked out that my brother was able to come and two of my buddies, one of which that actually ran Moab, um, they were both able to come out and pace me. So it just all worked out timing wise. Um, and I, I didn't really change up my training at all. I, I, I succeeded at Moab. So, you know, why change anything? I did a lot more sleep deprivation training. Uh, for example, like we'd have a party here at the frat house that I DJ with my buddy and then I'd not sleep all night and then roll into a marathon. I could do a marathon or 50 K in the morning, totally sleep deprived and hung over and just like doing more wacky, crazy stuff like that. See, I can sort of relate with a two or a, a four month old baby. Um, for sleep deprivation, except, uh, yeah, <laughs> a little different, but, um, yeah, it's, it's weird how practicing that stuff seems to have some benefit. I know Don Freeman of trail runner nation talked about practicing cat naps. I want to say Michelle Barton mentioned that Don was practicing those 10 minute, 20 minute quick naps and all that stuff. Um, that's, yeah, that's fascinating. And so what was your, training cycle like did you utilize i mean it sounds like you utilize sleep deprivation and races as training methods like did you peak out beyond what you did for moab for your big kind of blowout week two weeks prior to the race no i actually didn't i just did a um i did about 30 miles during the week and then did a 50k up in killington under armor 50k uh that has like close to 10,000 feet of vert um, I, I actually only probably peaked at about 80 miles going into Tahoe. Um, I, almost, I just didn't. Yeah, it's almost like you matured a little bit as a ultra runner there. So you, I guess, you brought your mileage I, down. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it was more so. I was just confident. Like I've done a 200 before. I don't need to do this extra 15 miles. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if I did do the full 100, 110 in a week, I could have gotten a couple hours faster at Tahoe. I don't know. I did a lot more 50 mile. I did a bunch of 50 milers and 50 Ks, uh, a lot more than I did leading up to Tahoe. Uh, so I felt like I was getting myself more race prepped, um, and testing for a race and running at Moab speed at these, or excuse me, Tahoe speed. Um, but no, I, I didn't really change much. I was just a little more confident in myself, I guess. So tell me, um, you know, how were you feeling on the start line at Tahoe? And any major was, difference in Moab? Uh, Moab, it was kind of uncertain. I, or uncertainty. I wouldn't say I was scared at Moab. I would say I didn't know what I was expecting, you know. And Tahoe, I was excited you know me and my dad were laughing talking about what i was going to hallucinate and when i was going to hallucinate and you know uh, uh when am i going to see them and they're going to have a pumpkin spice latte ready for me at mile 100 um and it was more excitement more um uh anxiousness ready to get at it at tahoe than moab interesting and and so were you trying to be more competitive this year like was that kind of the objective to or was it just another journey or or no mentally it was definitely yeah I, I wanted to do better uh i you know i thought to myself you know i 
worked a lot harder. I'm more experienced. I'm faster. Um, I should do better here, <clears throat> which I did to an extent. But I think that's kind of where I went wrong because the first 50 miles, I actually became so dehydrated, which later I found out uh, I wasn't intaking enough salt and electrolytes to absorb the water in my stomach. I was throwing up at about mile 50. Any water I drink, I'd throw it up. Um, I was laying down at the aid station and my I was trying to smile and play it off, but my kidneys were in so much pain that I couldn't really stand up at that point. And I knew my dad could like tell something was going up because I was doing that nod off stuff because I was in so much pain. Um, but some guy said, hey, you know, I, I, I think salt might uh, settle your stomach. Uh, actually, my pacer said that. And so I just ate like three or four salt tabs, said, screw it. Let's hope that help me out and immediately within 20 minutes i got up i started peeing like a madman all the water <laughs> yeah, you, just started absorbing you, in my body were you peeing clear yeah well yeah before that i was peeing orange and i think that's why my kidneys were hurting yep um and then immediately started peeing like crazy so there we go i'm still learning more about myself and my body and what i need to do uh to keep myself in that race but that was a very scary moment that i I thought my dad was going to make me DNF for my first time ever. Um, I was really down and out for, I chilled at the 50 mile aid station for a little over an hour uh, just to get myself ready. Yeah. I, I mean, but it worked out in the end cause I got up and the next 150 miles I was, I was good. Wow. So that sounds like worst case scenario for a 50 miler. I mean, you've done quite a few 50 Ks, 50 milers. And so mentally to, to regroup after that start had to take a lot. I mean, were you just so excited to start feeling better that things started to roll? Yeah, that and uh, I don't know. It was like, I'm not going to let this happen when I've done put in all of this effort to get where I am now. I'm not going to let some little screw up ruin my race. So I just said, all right, I'm chilling out and I'm going to figure this out. I don't care how long it takes. Uh, I don't care what people are going to tell me. But it was funny because at like later in the race, the photographers, um, who do a great job. They were like, holy crap, dude. We thought you were like a corpse at mile 50. They were like <laughs> excited to see me and like unbelieved that I was where I am now. But that's the beauty of ultra running is you could be down, down and out and, and totally turn yourself around. And that's another big thing I stress out is never, ever, ever count yourself out. No matter how low, what people are thinking of you at the moment, where they think your head is, what, what they think is going to happen with you. Never, ever, ever let that doubt come in your mind. And so, how were you feeling at mile hundred now? Um, great, I was I was good. My kidney pain had gone away. Um, the sleep, I was starting to get very cranky, um, and my pacer, I could tell, was getting, getting sick of me. Uh, and that's where I slept the two hours, and the, the sleep totally woke me up for another fifty to seventy miles, uh, and then just continued to do some more cat naps until the finish. Um, but yeah, I was fine until the end. The chafe got me, and I actually, funny enough, did the last ten miles without underwear uh, because my <laughs> my chafe was so bad. Hopefully, you um, had shorts. <laughs> I did have shorts on. I was not running naked. That would have been a little little rude to everyone. That, yeah, um, <laughs> take the but, yeah. party party mentality into the end <laughs> a little a little to the extreme. Yeah, a little bit. Um, no, but that was that was the biggest thing I learned from that mistake. Um, but also, I learned again that. I could be in the worst shape of my ultra running life and still pull myself out of that and succeed. And that's what I think your listeners, you know, if you're feeling awful and you're ready to DNF, chill out, sit down, sleep, 
eat, do anything and everything you can to turn your head around. Yeah, do not just take off your bib and give it to the aid station captain. Like, seriously contemplate it for, I would say, a minimum of a half an hour. I was, I, I've done that a few times, unfortunately, and it was never like um, an immediate decision. It was sit in the chair, try to recover however you can, try all different avenues, and it sounds like you really pulled yourself out of that. I mean, if Howie is impressed and he's taken pictures of probably a million people, <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome, man. That's really awesome. And so how was this finish line? You just finished... I mean, another race that these aren't a races. I'm I'm approaching my race. This is like a it's almost like a lifetime achievement type race. Like these aren't a a b and c races. Like these are um, these are milestones that you'll look back and tell your kids about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the finish line is a huge party for me. I go two weeks sober of caffeine and alcohol before these races just to get my body ready. Uh, and to get my brain, the tolerance of caffeine, uh, very low so that when I need that kick during a race, uh, that it works very well. So Courtney, I, me and Courtney at Moab, we crushed some beers after the race and That's I saw awesome. her at the start line at Tahoe. I was like, Hey, see you at the finish line for uh, beer. And of course she was there ready to pound some beers at the finish line when I got there. Um, but you know, that's the thing, like you were saying, these, I use these races as kind of like cycles. Like now that it's fall, a little bit of off season for me, I'm going to enjoy being a college kid for like a month, month and a half and, you know, live it up, party it up and then get back into training. And then once spring and summer comes around serious training where my mind, it's just laser focused towards, uh, you know, my next race. That's, that's amazing. I mean, you're partying into lifetime achievements here and go figure. I mean, you're 21 and you're in college and, uh, you have a lot going for you. So yeah, I appreciate hearing all these insights and, I want to shift real quick into gear-related questions because a lot of people like to hear this. And since you're a 200-miler, I mean, what type of shoes are you wearing? I'm wearing Hoka Bondi 5s. I have a wide foot, uh, so that's part of the reason why I wear the Bondis because they make them in wide. Um, but also I wear, it's a road shoe because it has so much more cushion. You know, even though we're running in trail, it's still 200 plus miles that you're running. I want to give my knees and joints as much cushion as possible. Um, yeah. And what, what type of sock do you wear? Uh, darn toughs always. I never have issues with them. Um, and they do a great job of uh, refunding you if, you, if your <laughs> socks are ever in any, any how, bad shape. How did you tape your toes? Tahoe. Um, so Luca tape, I, anyone that is going to do a 200 miler buy Luca tape. I think they sell it on Amazon L U K a, it is like this second skin stuff. Uh, and it stays on. Um, so I pre taped my big toe, the whole thing, uh, my pinky toe, the whole thing. Cause those two are what, ch- uh, I guess they chafe on the shoe. Yeah. Um, and any spots that I knew I have this one spot on my heel, I taped that pre race. Um, but it, it's great tape for, even though you're sweating, it doesn't come off. Uh, so anyone that's looking to do 200 buy Luca tape. So, and you didn't change it throughout the whole race. No. Okay. No. Oh, no, no, wrong. That's wrong. I did uh, 
take off my pinky toes because they got so dirty. Just, just I, I don't think I needed to, but I did change them uh, after I woke up from my sleep after mile 100. Very cool. And so in terms of compression gear, do you wear any compression socks or shorts or anything? No. Okay. Um, and that was partially because Tahoe wasn't that cold. I wore shorts um, and changed my shirts every, you know, 30, 50 miles. Um, a big advocate of having a very dependable headlamp. I went into Moab with a $20 Petzl headlamp, and I was oh, clearly only able to see, you know, like three feet in front of me. Um, so de- definitely have a dependable. And uh, I'd use... Um, I use battery, like rechargeable batteries, so I just carry the other battery with me and you know replace if need to. Yep. Um, but in terms of other gear, definitely, I know some people don't use poles, but for 200 miles, if you could take off one percent off your back or legs, I think it's beneficial. I use poles the whole race, um, and definitely when your legs start to get a little wobbly later in the race, it helps keep you uh, stood up and not falling. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and so. Hydration? Are you are you wearing a pack of any sort? Yeah, I use the Solomon S Lab. Uh, I stick a three liter bladder in the back, and I have two 16 ounce flasks on my chest, um, and I put Pedialyte in those. I use Pedialyte because I find it works best with my stomach. Get a good electrolyte in there, and actually, um, for your listeners, a very interesting thing I found that if you mix coconut water with strawberry lemonade. Pedialyte, it tastes like fruity pebbles. Um, so that was one of the greatest. Like I was, I found that out at a mile like 160 in Moab, and it's exactly what I needed at that point. It was so exciting and such a new flavor uh, yeah. that I, you know, because you're eating like the same, drinking the same things throughout the whole race. Um, but yeah, and I struggle with hydration because for some reason I need to drink a lot more than your average runner. Um, even my pacers were like surprised by me running out of water after just 17 miles when I have a full three liter and two 16 ounce flasks. Yeah. I've noticed like a lot of it has to do with your daily diet, um, and the salt content of your daily diet. And so if a lot of like raw food, I don't know, uh, that doesn't have a lot of salt in it, those runners do not require the same amount of electrolyte replacement for whatever reason. But it's totally individual. That's just a weird thing that I've uh, sort of picked up on. Uh, what watch do you use, or do you use a watch? And did they make it uh, through two hundreds? Yeah, no. I <laughs> I use the Sunto. Crap, I forget the model. It's the one with the thirty hour battery. I was okay. just looking because I just got. I ran Moab without a watch, which I think was kind of nice because I wasn't constantly looking at how far I had to go. Um, but it's a Sunto and it's a 30 hour battery one. I'm sorry. I don't remember the name of it. Um, but it did not last me the whole race. And I actually only used it for the first like 50 to 60 miles. Um, cause that's when I didn't have a pacer. Um, but it, it just stops me from looking down to see, Oh God, I'm another four miles from an that's, aid station. That's why you, know you felt I mean? so, that's why you felt so sick during the race. It wasn't <laughs> electrolytes. It was that damn watch. Yeah. yeah right. I, I'm, Going back and forth, I think I might take it just because this is a sort of a once in a lifetime event for me, um, and I just will bring my watch cord and a, a battery and just have the crew charge it while I'm at aid stations that and that sort of thing. Um, we'll see. I mean, maybe I'll end up just turning it off or throwing it in the desert or I don't know. <laughs> um, any other gear that you use? Um. 
No, just your, you know, your basic stuff, I guess you could say. Uh, there's nothing really special that I use. Um, no, favorite... I use GoPro. GoPro on the chest, I guess. Okay, GoPro. And what is your favorite hammer gel flavor? Apple cinnamon. Okay. Apple cinnamon yeah. all yeah. day, dude. I never yeah. get sick of it. It's like apple pie. It is, dude. Yeah. Or you can take the... Uh, some of the sweeter ones and mix them in with peanut butter and then you're having like a pb and j type uh flavor which is kind of a fun one to experiment with um well awesome let's i'm gonna finish up with just maybe uh i want to hit on mental strength and again there's been whole interviews you've done on mental strength but i like how you conceive it and and apply it to not only ultra running but life in general I mean, what's what's your advice for the listener in terms of mental strength to finish an ultra marathon? Um, my biggest thing is is there's two ways to build mental strength on the micro and macro level. Um, from and I think there's always an opportunity to do it. For example, when it's freezing cold out and your shoes untied and it's windy and you're in a wind tunnel and you don't want to tie your shoe, I'll oh, just wait until I'm in the Starbucks. No, I I get out. I feel that pain of the cold wind and I tie my shoe and that's like, and, and I put it this way is you just went up a little bit higher in the, uh, the pain leaderboards, I guess you could say just finding little, even if there's stupid things to build mental strength throughout the day, like even something like this, like if I have an itch on my back, I just won't itch it for a little bit. And then I like give, <laughs> let myself, you know, feel that the, the, the feeling of wanting to itch it, but not satisfying myself just stupid little things like that that'll add up over time and then you know once you get to a race the the mental fortitude comes from i think from uh, what i the effort you've put in you could really help yourself be tougher and, and i do a lot of self-talk throughout the race as well uh you know telling myself i am the man there's absolutely nothing stopping me i'm just having a little shortfall let's chill out you know, just talking to yourself is huge uh and especially being out there alone on the trails you get you get very uh, lonely, I guess you could say. Um, but that's the number one thing is I tell everyone this race is all about mental toughness. You know, I said it before, you could be in the greatest shape. You could know your body as best as anyone. But if you're not up there mentally, you're not going to succeed. And I think that there's a lot of people that focus way too much on actually getting out and running, which is obviously you need to. But doing things to to callous your brain is, is omnipotent to me in ultra running. Nice. Um and so looking back on your 200s, I mean, what's a single piece of gear that you relied on the most? Single piece of gear. My visor to keep the dang sun out of my face. Okay. Nice. <laughs> I was so sunburned at Moab and then let it happen to me at Tahoe too, um, that it was very, very aggravating. Uh, I think I could have had a little bit more enjoyable race without that. And that might seem trivial to some people, just a visor, but, and you going to mob, I definitely uh, recommend getting like one of those desert things that you got put it. on your head and it like goes over your neck. Dude, got it. Yeah, I got it. I feel like a weirdo buying it, but yep. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like a, like a kind of like a dork wearing it, but dude, you need it. You yeah. need it. Yeah, totally. Um, a uh, single, you know, book that you've read that you found inspiring that I've read that I found inspiring. Running or not? For ultra running yeah. or, or 
yeah, just generally speaking, I mean, what book could I pick up that you've read that, you know, you recommend for the ultra running community? Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a little different, but it's this book called Breaking Buds. And it's about uh, this Navy SEAL and basically his, uh, his firsthand encounter of going through Navy SEAL training, uh, what they did and what they did to build mental toughness. Anyone, I don't care if you're into sports or not, can take away a lot from that. Um, and, and I've read, that's the only book I've reread. Uh, I'm not a huge reader, but breaking buds is, if, especially I think for the ultra runner is definitely something. If you're looking to build mental toughness and understand how to train for mental toughness, breaking buds is awesome. Let's finish with, let's inspire the listener. Let's inspire, um, you know, that person that maybe is only done a half marathon, but is thinking about longer distances I mean, what words of advice do you have for someone thinking about taking on the ultra running distance and that ultra runner that has some experience taking on a 200 miler just to close it out here? Believe in yourself, put it in the work. My recipe to success is persistence, determination, a little bit of sacrifice and and fun, and you will succeed. So if you're someone like I was a couple years ago that hasn't yet to run a marathon, take on the mentality of what do you have to lose and then transition that into someone that is has run 100 milers before. What's the worst thing that could happen? You go out to Moab, Tahoe, you do Bigfoot and you run maybe 100, 120 miles and you fail. Whoop do you do? Like no one's going to come and tell you you're awful you still have ran hundred milers all the time. You're still a beast. Um, and also, um, another thing that I could add to, you know, current ultra runners is don't be afraid about the distance and don't undervalue what you've done previously. Um, I, I like to show people that I've gone from, you know, barely a runner to a pretty seasoned ultra runner in a very short time. I am nothing average. I am simply your college kid that found running uh, to be a good use of his time, and I took it to the next level. I'm no superhuman. I was not gifted with any characteristic, any any certain uh, trait. I just simply put in the work. I believe in myself, and I go to have fun, and I succeed. That's all you need to do. Just tell yourself you are the greatest. You are the best person. You are. Uh, you've put in the work, and, and you know it might sound cocky, but say that on the inside. You don't need to let people know that. Um, that's kind of the biggest, uh, what I thrive on telling people is you don't have to, uh, wait four years to do your first 200 miler. Just go out there and get after it. Nice. Ryan, thank you for taking all the time. I enjoyed speaking with you and man, you're young, 21. You have years and years and years of running and it'll be exciting to, to catch up in a, you know, a year or so or whenever and and see, you know, what you're getting after. So thank you for taking all the time. Dude, thank you for having me on. You kidding me? This was an awesome podcast and I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. And that's episode 68. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Ryan for taking all his time. He's being patient on the release date there big thank you to hammer nutrition Sufferfest beer destination trail exoskin and remember again the um the pre-order is now available for my book so middle of the pack perspective be aware you're not going to learn how to set your next hundred mile pr record you know it's not going to have training plans and whatnot it's more of a inside peek into just my story so thank you guys appreciate it have a great day enjoy your training